Sorry. Sorry. Recording in progress. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Sorry about that. So yeah, so we're trying to get more women excited about the sport, um, especially about competition flying. It's you know it's fantastic to have a community community that gets together. Um, it's like a fly-in. I know you guys have have fly-ins and um, in paramotoring, so um, it's similar for us where you know we we get together once twice a year and uh, everybody is just like in the same place and um, it's like it's like almost like a family nowadays for us. You know these events are are not just competitions they're also you know get togethers of our kind of paragliding family basically i call it you know we have good friends i made really good friends you know with you know many of the girls and we have even gone on um on little girls trips together like for you know four or five days you know we're like hey let's let's do a girls trip you know let's go to california and um and just fly all together and hang out and stuff so we have done that we have been to florida um, I know uh, Crystal's from Florida, so we have gone down there and uh, and uh, just camped out and and had a few girls who met up and it's you know it's it's a really nice way to make friends these competitions and um, obviously as always saying uh, good nice good parties and good fun too so so you still okay so you said that you were a four time national women's champion in 2015 16 17 and 18. Yes. And you still are competing, right? And I'm still competing. Um, I have, I have kind of switched over to also do um, one international competitions. So um, it is a nice thing, you know, with the, you know, you have paramotors that are kind of like big and bulky and heavy with our paragliders that fit in a nice little backpack. You can kind of hop on a plane. And so we do competitions in Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, all over Europe, obviously so i've you know i've been i just in in september um my my partner and i we were in a competition in in france and uh which was really lovely so it's 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 really fun to also travel um for these for these competitions and uh yeah it uh it um so i'm still actively like involved in, in competitions absolutely um it's just that i've been also kind of more busy and um and then COVID, we had COVID last year um, we had no competitions then. And then this year, we have a lot of new pilots coming up. Uh, a lot of uh, girls that are becoming really good. So there's more, there's more competition now, like, like actual, like, you know, like you have to actually fight for it. So, um, it's not that easy anymore, which is fantastic to see, right? So um, a few years back, it was, you know, it was, you know, it was, was kind of, if you were somewhat good, it was, was not as hard, but, but it's getting harder. So, which is fantastic news. We get more people involved and they become really good. They train a lot. They're out flying, out flying all the time. So it's really good to see. So Angela, um, in the chat from Las Vegas, she asked, what kind of regulations do you guys have? Regulations in terms of anything the- flying do you have anything? You said you have to get a license, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. So that type of regulations. You're fully regulated also by the, you know, by the, um, by the FAI, basically. So, and um, we have four different mm-hmm. kind of stages. Um, it's called the P1, lower paragliding, P1, P2, P3, and P4. And, you know, the P1 is basically like, this is the wing these are the lines, you know, these are the A lines, so they're like the ones that are in the front. 
as you guys probably know. Um, and these are the brake lines. And, you know, this is a little training hill into some kiting. So that's a P1. P2, you kind of like hop off the, the little hills a bunch. And then P3, you have to have, I think, um, 75 flying hours or something like that. I can't remember. But, you know, and then P4, you kind of, you know, do cross-country flying. You go places. You land in different landing zones um, away from the hill and all those things. So, yeah, we definitely have um, uh, those regulations. Um, obviously, there's always a liability factor, right? So if, if you don't have a license, then you that you don't have liability insurance. Um, it's all regulated um, by the United States Hang and Paragliding Association, it's called. It's called USPA. Um, the United States Hang and Paragliding Association. So that's our um, kind of umbrella organization. And they're taking care of hang gliders and paragliders, basically. So it's, it's the same organization, yeah. Krista, do you see Will's question? Do you, do you want to ask that? So I, I did. I do have a question, though, if I remember. Um, so Will Fly wants to know, what advice would you give someone wanting to enter the competition world? Um, absolutely. Don't worry too much about it. Enter a competition that is, you know, beginner level. Obviously, you don't want to go to the, you know, highest, highest competition level that there is. There are obviously different levels. Um, we have competitions, for example, where we have um, um, a mentorship program also where more experienced pilots come, but they actually mentor beginner pilots, like, you know, pilots who just start competition flying. Um, it's called, uh, it's actually the one in, in Oregon and in, um, in Applegate. It's, you know, we have a, so typically during the same week, we have kind of like a, a sprint competition, we call it for the newer pilots and the tasks are much shorter. So they're only like, you know, 30 kilometers instead of 150 kilometers, basically. And um, it's a really nice way of getting into competition flying. There's a lot of mentoring going on. A lot of explanations are, are made and, and you can kind of like learn the ropes a little bit. So I would say um, don't hesitate. Um, competition flying is a lot of fun. Anybody can do it. Um, you don't, you know, you don't have to do well. You, you know, it's just you want to you know, want to be there and you want to learn most important thing. So, but do pick a competition where um, you find like-minded pilots. Um, so you don't want to go to, you know, where everybody flies the hottest wings and, you know, you will never see anybody doing the competition after the first thermal, they will be gone. They're way too fast. So you want to kind of fly with people. So you want to have people who have the same type of wing uh, beginner's wing or not so fast wing so um that would be my advice go out and do it just find the right palm did you have another question krista yeah so you mentioned the license and insurance um so if you have a license does your what, do you have to buy extra insurance life insurance is what i'm asking life insurance yeah, with you with being a pilot, you don't have to buy anything. So the you know, the most important thing you need is a liability insurance, but that obviously doesn't cover that covers only that you are crashing into somebody's house or car and you cause damage to another person's property. So that is the liability insurance, or you're flying into a power line or something like that. Um, but for your own, if, if for your own like medical 
insurance, mm -hmm. you have to take care of that yourself, obviously. If you, um, especially when you travel abroad, I always take out travel insurance just in case uh, something happens, the hospital costs are covered. Um, you know, as we all know, the, the local, like our US insurances, it might be complicated to get, you know, to get them to cover anything abroad, you know, especially not right when you need it. I've been in Mexico where hospitals require you to put on, you know, your, you, you, that you put on a credit card basically um, for any surgery and that could go well up in, you know, $20,000, $30,000 right there. So um, it's one of my rules that I'm not so much worried at home because I have good health insurance for my work. But if I travel abroad, I always take out um, an extra medical travel health insurance that covers accidents. And it does, you have to make sure it covers paragliding or whatever sport you're doing, paramotoring, um, balloon flying, I don't, you know, whatever. You have to make sure that's covered. There are, a limited number of insurances out there who do that because you know it costs them sometimes a lot of money but they are out there so i do world nomads usually um there's um there's another one um what is it called again they changed the name so I've, i forgot now but if anybody's interested you can always um text me you know on messenger or whatsapp or whatnot you know i have i have actually a whole document on that because i want to make sure that our people who do travel abroad um, are taken care of i've i've been in many situations where i had to go to a hospital with a person um and it's always good to have you know no worries about how much money it's going to cost and also for repatriation You know, um, I had a situation, a, a, a friend of mine, she got really hurt in Mexico and um, she broke her pelvis and we had to basically get her um, on a medical flight home um, a week after the accident. And that is expensive. So um, you want to be, you want to make sure that you have that coverage in your travel insurance repatriation up to 500,000 or something like that. So. The further you travel, so you. the more you need. If you go to Pakistan, make sure you put a mount in that one. That's good information, though. Thank you. That is, it's, really, it's really important. It's a lot of people don't think about it when they travel. They're all excited to go on a trip, but you always have to think about what if. Um, so we do travel a lot as paraglider pilots. And uh, I always, the people I travel with, I always make sure, like, and everybody in the group has the information, you know, so um very important right um so angela is also asking in competition um do you go against anyone um in the u.s um are you representing your home um in hamburg germany or are no, you i'm flying i'm flying for the u.s <clears throat> um actually a couple of years ago i was on the u.s national team also um for the world championships so i uh decided a long time ago i mean i've i've, I've I, i came to the u.s in 2000 so i've been here it's easy to count 2001 so i've been here for 21 years it's kind of easy it's nice <laughs> i've been here for 21 years and a long time ago you have to kind of um put a request in that you change it um you know from germany to the u.s basically um and you have to show proof of residency and all those things and why do you want to change so this is my my home now it's my um home flying community 
um, these are my people. I said, you know, this is my family. So um, a lot of the experience that I do have, I, I have to, um, you know, thank US pilots for it, for all the experience that I've gotten over the past years in competition flying. So um, I definitely fly for the US and, um, and it, yeah, I will stay that way too. So um, as long as I live here, yeah, at least. So, because, that, yeah, you know. Thanks. You got any other questions, Krista? Um, well, Will had another question. Um, do does your family fly with you and support you in your sport? Um, yes, I have uh, the, the, the biggest supporter is my partner. His name is Eduardo Garza. If anybody knows the Exalps, he was. Um, this is a paragliding hike and fly event across Europe. He was. Uh, it's a very high profile event. Um, he um, participated in that um, this year and also two years back. So um, we do fly together. Uh, my parents are, are not al alive anymore. So they have passed a long time ago but, um, back in Germany. But, um, and I have a sister back in Germany. So uh, they're all far away. Aunts and uncles all far away, kind of. Um, so, but here in the US, I have, uh, I have Eduardo, who's the... Uh, also an experienced pilot. So we, on the weekends, we always check the weather and where we're going flying, you know, this place, that place where it's going to be good. So it's a lot of fun, especially we drive a lot here in New England. So I'm in Boston in uh, Massachusetts. So all our flying sites, um, you know, we don't have a paramotive and you can just like go to the next, you know, big field and take off. So we have to find mountains or at least some hills. So we fly a lot in the White Mountains up in New Hampshire um there are the green mountains in vermont um there's stuff in western massachusetts you also go to upstate new york but everything is kind of like it you know it's like an hour and a half at least two hours sometimes even three hours of driving and uh we do it because we absolutely are addicted obviously to flying uh but it's good to have a driving buddy and this is how we also met we kind of started carpooling a lot together we are dating now for six years um or five years whatever it is i forget um and uh yeah we, we uh do all the stuff together and we hike together so the nice thing with paragliding is we you know have little backpacks and you can hike any mountain and uh and then fly off basically so it's um it's really fun so he and i are sharing sharing and you and i need to i've lost i've lost relationships over the sport it's ridiculous yeah um i used to date um someone who did not fly and and i was always gone over the weekends and it usually yeah usually didn't that didn't work out very well so um it's complicated if you don't if you don't have your family or your partner you know who's kind of into the sport as well it's getting complicated you know it's uh, and it's addictive so we always you always want to fly of course and um it takes up a, you know whole weekends so it's yeah, you guys so know. The next question is, what do you do for a job? I am a molecular biologist, um, cell and molecular biologist. So, um, where, so I studied back in Germany, uh, basically get a master's, something in that direction. It's called diploma, whatever. <laughs> and um, it's six years of university. So, um, but then I got, you know, um, the, way I, the way I came to the U.S., um, is we, we were collaborating with a laboratory here in, in Boston 
Massachusetts General Hospital. Um, and we were working on this neurological disease where you kind of have um, mutations in a gene and you get um, tumors in the skin and also um, the nervous system, basically. And so they asked me um, at the time in 2000, hey, you know, uh, when you're finishing your studies back in Germany, do you want to come over for two years and, um, and work in our lab, right? Do some research and, you know, publish papers, publications and all those things. And I was like, yeah, it sounds good. Is any flying over there? Because, you know, I kind of got into flying back in Germany. Um, I'm from Hamburg. It's kind of flat there, not many mountains. Um, so it was kind of tough to fly. But when I got here, I was like, wow, there are all these like mountains you can go to over the weekend. It's fantastic. So um, after the two years, I decided to not go back to Germany because um, originally I planned to get my PhD back in Germany. I still kind of wanted to do that. And um, I decided to apply here and to Boston University, for example, and um, got my PhD there. Um, that was, took six years, well, like craziness of education here. Um, and then after that, so I studied cell and molecular biology there, got my PhD. And then I did uh, a postdoctoral fellowship at Harvard Medical School studying viruses, basically. So I did that for five years. And now I work in biotech. So I work in the biotech industry. Boston is biotech mecca. There's so many companies around here. It's, it's crazy. Um, you know, sometimes I think about moving to the West Coast or something, but then another kind of company has a good job here. So, um, yeah, so I've been um, working in biotech now since 2013. And, um, and it's, it's good. It's fun. Yeah, doing a lot of... Um, development on assays to discover certain proteins in your bloodstream and stuff like that so very interesting yep krista you got any questions yes so you said you uh flew in florida where'd you do that at because it's pretty flat here so that's that is absolutely true um so there um as as you know there are these um towing um ranches basically for hang gliders for example and you can also do that to a paraglider you kind of hook up to the winch and um as you know krista florida has beautiful clouds typically nice cumulus clouds often at least at least in the spring spring flying is very good in florida and um you can just you know, get towed up. So you get towed up and then you, re you release from the, from the winch. And then you start uh, searching for a thermal. And then you find that you obviously um, do circles, 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 and kind of go up to the clouds. And then you go from there. And then you can, just, you know, stick to, you know, fly from cloud to cloud. And um, beautiful flying in Florida. You just got to watch out. There's a lot of areas with... Uh, nothingness so swarms and and alligators <laughs> and stuff so um there's also airspace a lot you gotta watch out for that obviously so um but yeah so that's how you fly in florida you you basically tow up where were you in florida um do you remember in in yeah it's uh but about, it's called uh, La Belle, but that's a tiny, tiny town. So um, it, um, it was in Perfect. Southern Florida. 
and I'm trying to remember the bigger town there. I was kind of in the middle, um, right in the middle, basically, between the coastlines, basically. I can't remember. The, the okay. tiny, so they had like a little towing, towing which there. There's, um, it was it was called uh, Dave Prentice. I don't know if anybody knows Dave Prentice. He had basically a little operation going on there for paraglider pilots uh, towing up. Um, but then there's also um, there are bigger places that I haven't been to. Um, I forgot the name. So that's all right. So are you jumping off of walking off of? cliffs yes like in washington state and yes so we're basically um launching from mountains like you're not jumping off but walking off like running off um so we we bring up the wing you guys know from the paramotoring you bring up the wing into the wind basically and then we we turn around and then you kind of like run off um yep. and then the ring starts flying at a certain you know at a certain point and uh so it's very mellow you're not kind of like jumping and then hoping everything is fine you kind of check your wing everything is okay looks good there are no knots in the lines you know nothing looking weird and then you kind of like turn around and walk off and fly off yes and then you find lift somewhere you know you Kind of check the birds are the birds going up are the other pilots going up you just feel the air you have instruments that are beeping obviously then you go up so you, you kind of know when you when you hit lift and then um you kind of try to stay within that lift and then you try to go as high as possible you read the circles how high have you gone what's the highest you oh i've, I've been in the owens valley i've been up to the the limit limit the, the uh, limit that is officially allowed to go up to which is here, 18,000 feet in the U.S. Wow. After that, yeah, uh, it was 17-something. Uh, the Owens Valley in California is, is very high altitude. The mountains are at 14,000 feet already. So it's not much more to 18,000, basically. Um, so that's why it's so high there. And um, so it's it's almost easy to go that high. And But 18,000 is, um, is our airspace limit. So um, that is, you know, you, you can obviously go higher, but, you know, you, you kind of want to not publicize that a lot. And how was it? It was, it was, uh, it was, it didn't feel that high, you know, because the ground was not that far away. It was interesting because the mountains were already at 14,000 feet. So it didn't really feel you were that high. Um, and I had oxygen at the time. Also, so we have these little oxygen bottles that um, you can fill up and then you have the little hose coming, you know, into your nose and behind your ears. So you kind of um, make sure that you're not getting hypoxia. Um, typically hypoxia uh, can occur above 12,000 feet. 12,000 is not, not that high, but um, that's where you have to kind of start watching out for it. Um, but 18,000 feet, you know, it's always recommended to probably fly with oxygen. Um, and, and they're really sophisticated system these days where, um, they only release oxygen when you breathe in. So it's like, chick, chick, 
electric. So it's kind of like you don't waste too much. It's not like continuously flowing. And um, and it only kicks in when you are like, you know, above a certain altitude, like 10,000 feet or 12,000 feet or something. So, um, yeah, but it was a little uh, it was a little intimidating, I gotta say, because you can see it on your instruments and you're like, wow, that is high. So, um, but but then it didn't feel that high because, you know, the ground was kind of right there, almost nothing. Well, Will Fly, she passed you up. That's for sure. <laughs> Krista, how, you got any question? Oh, go ahead. How high, how high do you always fly in a, in a, in a um, when you fly the paramotors? How high do you, what is the highest you usually go? 18. You go up to 18,000 too? Well, no. But uh-huh. I mean, but, but okay. Um, like on a regular flight, like on a typical flight, how high do you guys usually go? Probably 500 to 1,000. <laughs> Wow, you stay really low. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I fly, well, I know I fly higher than my husband, you know, because I feel safer for some weird reason. Being mm-hmm. afraid of heights, I still fly higher. Altitude so. is safety, right? Um, if something happens, you have more time to fix it. If you're higher, if you're close to the ground and something happens, you have less time to fix it. So, right. you know, it's, it's good intuition, Jade, that, that you have there. And it's, you know, it's like, it's safety, right? Altitude right. is safety. You, the ac- accidents happen close to the ground, obviously, because, you know, the ground is really what hurts. And, um, and if you're close to the ground and something happens, you can't fix it in time, then, Yeah. But totally. if you're high up, I have the same thing. The higher I am, you know, if I fly close to the treetops or something, I know if, you know, if something happens, then um, it's probably not much you can do. So, Right. Krista, you got anything? I do. And then there's lots of questions in the chat. Right. Um, have you ever done anything else flying related, like skydived or anything like that? I have to admit, I have not. I have. So I've been in a sailplane but I haven't flown it myself. Um, I have been in a Cessna. I have flown that myself a little bit, but not, you know, my pilot was right next to me there. So he's like, you know, I just do a little bit here and there. So I've, you know, but I haven't really had, um, yeah, I haven't taken on any other hobbies or sports um, other than paragliding. I think that's because paragliding is taking up so much of my time. You know, I have a full-time job. And, um, and flying takes, you know, takes, takes up all my weekends if it's, you know, if it's flyable. I mean, I do, I do a bunch of other stuff. I go snowboarding, you know, I do, you know, martial arts, for example, and all those things. So there are other hobbies there, but I feel like these, um, extreme sports, I would say, you know, that take up a lot of your time because you got to be current, you got to be, you know, always practicing and all those things. So I have, I've not. I've not taken up any, any other flying sports. Um, and I, I, my guess is that probably will stay that way, except when I get so old that I just want to, you know, want to fly a sailplane because <laughs> you just do this. <laughs> so. And they're amazing. So Will flies got another question. Um, since both you and your partner are involved in competition, do you find yourself competing against each other? If so, who usually wins? He's always faster. (laughs) So, but, um, that is probably related to, um, two things. 
um, a, it's my personality. I, you know, like guys always have more, like, you know, they're more competitive. They have more to talk. They're like, I got to be everyone, you know, it's like, I'm always like, oh, I just want to make it to goal. <laughs> so it's like, I'm, so because it counts how fast you are, right? I always, you know, he and I, we, we very consistently make it to goal, but he's usually faster. And that also has to do besides kind of the attitude, um, has also to do with uh, the weight. Um He's not, he's not that much bigger than me, but he, he takes a lot of ballast with him to be able to fly a bigger wing. And the bigger wings, um, they have more efficiency. They basically have, um, you know, a bigger wingspan, the same amount of lines compared to my wing that is, you know, smaller wing, the same amount of lines. So it has more, you know, this track is the same. But the bigger the foil, the more efficient you are. And also, the, you know, the heavier you are, the faster you are, basically, also, um, in a way. So he's typically a little bit faster. So typically, he does better in competitions. Um, but that's fine. So, um, yeah. So that's something we, we girls, is a tough thing. We girls, you know, we are, we are typically smaller you know, stuff like this. So we usually fly smaller wings, except if you want to ballast up with like taking another 30 kilos of water or something, which I'm not going to do because then the landings get a little more dangerous because they get faster and you're really heavy and you can't move. So launches get more dangerous because you can't move properly. Um, so you could just take a lot of water um, or ballast, but um, I usually try to not do that a lot i take some water of course you know but but not like a lot a lot that i can't move anymore so yeah so if you are like you know really um uh, a bigger person you have a better chance of flying fast so um and uh usually and that's why the girls usually don't have that usually can't really keep up with with the boys in the competitions um that's that's usually so what size game. wing are you flying um, I'm flying a wing that goes up to, it depends what I'm flying, but in a competition, um, I fly a wing now that is going up to 95 kilos. Um, my boyfriend flies up to 105 kilos, for example. And I, I basically only make it to like 92 kilos or something like that. You know, um, when I, when I fly at home, when I don't compete. So when I compete, I have a heavy harness, has two reserve parachutes in it. So uh, that gives you extra weight and the harness is really heavy. And I fly at home. You can see in the background picture, that's kind of the equipment I fly at home. It's my hike and fly gear that I use to climb up mountains. And, um, and it's, you know, you can see the harness is kind of you know, almost flimsy a little bit. It is really light, super light, actually. Um, and there's a little reserve in the, in the front pouch. You know, that's, that's also not the heaviest thing. So that's kind of my light equipment. So I use that um, at home. And the backpack that I'm carrying up when, I, when we're hiking is, is only like, um, okay, that's kilos. So it's, you know, it's about you know, like eight, nine kilos. So um, times 2.2 in pounds, basically. Um, yeah, it's like, it's like 20, you know, it's like 20, 25 pounds. Um, my competition gear is like over 50 pounds. It's like twice, basically, almost. Oh, but wow. Definitely twice. Yeah, it's definitely twice as heavy. So, um, yeah, 
and then you know the 90 the 95 kilos basically with your body weight but from the just the backpack um yeah for hiking i carry about 20 to 25 pounds and the competition backpack itself is like 50 52 pounds or something so do you fly acro do you do any crazy stuff I, I do love acro. Yeah, I, um, I don't I don't do it a ton because you need to have the right place and stuff like this. Also, I love spiral dives. We we have a thing that's called a sat where you kind of like um, go go backwards uh, in your body, but you know your wing is kind of still going positive basically, and you kind of like swirling around like this. I love that. I can do that over ground, um, but anything like super crazy, I I don't do over the ground. Um, I used to do a lot of um, flying over lakes and stuff like this. So that's how I got really comfortable, um, you know, with flying and also flying more um, performance, higher performance wings, because, you know, they're, they're kind of more active, basically. You got you to gotta have really good control over them. So, um, yes, I love, I love acro flying. I didn't do it as much anymore as I used to, though. So, yeah. Okay. Krista? Uh, Tony Mazzoni says, have you ever thrown a reserve? Yes, twice. Twice, um, involuntarily. I mean, you know, in a, a very really needed to throw. I've, you know, I've, I've thrown it over lakes a bunch also doing practice, like where you kind of want to practice how to throw reserve, but not counting the practice ones. Um, I've thrown twice um, for real. And um, that was both doing competitions where the flying conditions were not good. It was really windy, uh, super turbulent, and um, and you just spend a lot of time in the air in those conditions. It's you know sometimes it's getting you. So um, the first time it was in Spain, um, actually, a super windy day, uh, and we got into some lee behind a mountain a little bit shouldn't even be there basically but doing competitions you do things that you otherwise wouldn't do on a normal day honestly i would have been on the ground like being like it's not worth flying it's you know it's too dangerous but doing competitions which is one of the bad things of competitions you're flying you keep flying conditions that you you know you normally would say you know thanks but no thanks um so we were behind the mountain and then i had basically uh the two tips came in and i had double riser twist um and um and the wing started so i i throw immediately when the wing starts to go um you know onto the side and starts to wind up in a spiral dive so when i can tell that my wing is about to do that and i have a riser twist and two you know two kind of um ears in basically uh that would take me a little while to fix and i look and i don't have the altitude um i immediately chuck it out because once the wing gets gets into a high speed high g spiral dive you will have a tough time probably getting to your reserve and then also making sure it's not ending up in the wing that is going around and around and around so um and that landing worked out perfectly for both of my landing worked out perfectly fine if you're ever in doubt throw it out because typically if you throw the reserve um i know in paramotoring you're flying more in like very um mellow conditions but but if you're like like me basically um it usually works out very well um i know very few people who threw the reserve and and 
got hurt. Actually, nobody, if I think about it. Maybe they had, a, you know, an ankle that twisted or something. But um, typically, throwing your reserve is going to, for sure, save, save your life. If you do it early enough, obviously. So, um, and then second time, again, uh, competition. That was in Mexico, Valle de Bravo. Uh, bad wind direction, very windy. Um, I got, um, I got a, um, a big cravat. And I tried to fix it. So I tried to kind of stall it out. Um, it was a competition wing, high performance wing. Didn't work out very well. I, you know, got this, the right side um, also come in and the wing started to go in a spiral dive and I chucked it basically. And that also worked out perfectly. You know, I kind of went through some trees and then landed perfectly on my feet. The wing was in a tree up there. They came and rescued me somehow. And, uh, you know, the next day I flew again, both of these days, you know. Um, flew again the next day. So um, if you if you have doubts that it's gonna work out well, you can't you know you can't fix it. Chuck it. I guess the I work, got a reserves question. reserves work. They work very very well. So and don't even think about it much. You know your wing might end up in a tree, it might be broken or something, but it's not really the important thing. You know I've seen many people with broken backs and and right. birds things like that it's not worth it so have you had any scary moments because this sounds like it's nothing to you <laughs> <laughs> yeah these are not the scariest moments i have to say um interestingly and uh, there was one very scary i mean it's the scary moment the scariest moment i've ever had was here in, in new hampshire and it was a uh, cannon mountain which is kind of up in the white mountains a little bit and um it was a day where the top was sort of in the clouds um, and then it lifted and it came out of the clouds and we were like, oh, this looks great. Let's launch. And then we launched and there was beautiful, fly, you know, beautiful flying weather. We could stay up and just go up in the, you know, kind of to the clouds. And then the clouds would start kind of like sort of like sucking you in a little bit. So I would spiral down and fly out of them again. And then suddenly what happened was it must have been a dew point change or something. Um, the entire top of the mountain got forked in again, basically. So it was, it was very quick because I was kind of like, you know, getting close to a cloud again and I tried to spiral out of it. And as you know, and I'm like, that's odd. I can't really get, you know, out of it. And then I saw trees right below me and I was like, you know, so I knew it was all kind of forked in. So something must have changed with the weather and um, I couldn't see anything. I was in the cloud, and, you know, and then I spiraled and I didn't know which direction. So typically, if you're in a cloud, you want to just fly straight out and keep your direction. So you're not, you're not losing you know, directionality, basically, that you know where you're going. So, um, and I was, I was really lost then. And then I was just flying around in this cloud. And I was super low because I tried to spiral down. And, and the whole ceiling came down, basically, that, you know, the whole top of the mountain was back in the cloud. So I was flying along and suddenly I see this like ski lift showing up in front of me like just showing up in the cloud like over there and I was like hard left I turn around I was like I almost hit it basically it was so scary I that day I thought I was gonna end up you know somewhere in the trees or you know somewhere and then I kind of suddenly popped out of the cloud boom and I could see everything um so I was way back I lost orientation I was way back from the mountain and there's boonie land there trees everywhere I couldn't there was no landing zone I could reach. I was super low. I was like, you know, 
50 feet, 100 feet over trees or something. And um, the landing zone was against the wind. I would have never made it there because if you go against the wind, you're losing altitude a lot. It's not very efficient. Um, and so I decided to go further back against the ridge line. It was all trees, literally no landing zone. And I, I made it there. And then I went along that ridge line with plus minus zero until like all like a long way until like all the way in the end i could reach some landing zones and then i landed there and then there was a like a birthday party going on and they're like hey you're so cool what you're doing that's great where you're coming from i'm like from the mountain over there they're like wow that's so awesome and i was like i was literally thinking if they would know what i just went through <laughs> i was like literally kissing the ground i was like this is the day i thought i would end up in the trees in new england yeah so wow. yeah and we had two other pilots. Uh, one of them was fine. The other one also kind of crash landed somewhere on top of the mountain, actually. It was, yeah, that was the scariest moment. So now I'm very careful with clouds. I'm the person, like, if you, if you get close to the clouds, I'm always the first one who's kind of like leaving the cloud and flying out of it. People are like, you can go super, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it depends on the cloud. If it's like, you know, nice, puffy, little one that's fine but if it's like a bigger one that's all gray and dark and i like i leave it i don't i don't like it anymore so yeah that was my worst experience um lost in the clouds close close to trees it was scary what can is you, that can you explain this oh that's juju hold on <laughs> a second hold on a second <laughs> oh boy <clears throat> So we'll, okay. So this is how I found you. I saw Juju one day, and do you remember I asked who Juju was? So explain who Juju is. Juju, Juju is literally nowadays our, our sort of like not virtual dog, but like pet dog. Eduardo and I were like, you always have to take care of him. He's um he's very talkative. He's always hungry. It's terrible. But the story is like Eduardo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's so cute. Yeah, he's working out here. Um, he's fixing his muscles, you said this day. Yep. Um, so Eduardo gave Juju to me when I was in the hospital a year and a half ago. I had um I was diagnosed with uterine cancer. I came out of nowhere. And um at the time it was COVID, so I had to have surgery, and Eduardo couldn't really stay with me for a long time because I wouldn't allow visitors in the hospital. So he basically gave me this one to take care of me at the time. Um, that was a, another scary experience in my life. So women out there, if you are in the, in the upper 40s or 40s, um, make sure you get your mammograms and, and get the checkups with the gynecologist because I had no idea. I literally went for a checkup, my yearly checkup with my gynecologist and she kind of like pushed around on my belly and said, hey, your, uter your uterus is enlarged. I'm like, what are you talking about? Uterus is enlarged. And typically these are, you know, could be benign fibroids or something like that um that's the most common kind of benign um kind of growth you could have and then it turns out I had a sarcoma um and so they got it out immediately and everything is fine I have to do CT scans now every three months um and keep fingers crossed but this is how Juju came into my life because I was in the hospital for like three days um they had to do like an open surgery because um, they wanted to take it out like really carefully the whole thing like that took out everything uterus everything. 
You want to make sure that, that these malignant cells don't spread around in your body. So, um, and then the tumor can come back basically in your lungs even or something like that, right? So it goes, these cells can go into your bloodstream and then they settle down in your lungs and then you suddenly have, you know, these tumors in your lungs. So um, it's very important to get these tumors out in one piece and so that they're undisturbed, so to speak. So, and that's how Juju came in my life. And then nowadays Juju is literally like, he's always with us. He's hiking with us. He's flying with us. And, uh, <laughs> and he became nice. our, our little pet, pet doggy. He's very important in our lives. We don't have time for a real dog. So this is it. <laughs> <laughs> so where is this? This is a beautiful picture. I know this is in Austria. This was from this year. And um, Eduardo was uh, basically about to start this hike and fly competition, the X-Alps, where you literally cross the entire Alps on foot or in your wing. And, um, and so we were kind of, that was before the competition, and we were kind of scouting out the, um, the route, basically. So, um, so we launched from one of the turn points and kind of made it, made it along uh, sort of to the next turn point. And um, if you don't, you can imagine if you don't fly all of this, you would have to like walk it all. So um, these, these hike and fly competitions are crazy. I'm telling you. Um, and this must I, be part of that. Yes. So we were, we were kind of training. This is in, in New Hampshire. And you can see Mount Washington in the back, which is the biggest mountain with the snow. That's Mount Washington. That's the biggest mountain. It's only 6,000 feet, but you know, for us, that's a big mountain um in in new england basically that's yeah so it's called mount washington has the wind record of in the world even they have crazy winds up there wow Um, and this picture is from mexico this was in tapalpa basically and um beautiful flying you can you can see these um ravines down there and um flying along these uh, sugar cane fields basically and uh beautiful flying so um that was in, um, uh, also last year, actually, um, we did some traveling during COVID, we bailed out a little bit. So, um, yeah, that was a few days in Tapalpa. Oh, and this is, this is gorgeous. This is close to Bryce Canyon. Um, you can actually see in the background, that is, um, it's not Bryce Canyon. It's, um, oh, somebody helped me out online, that thing in the back. It's um, close to Bryce Canyon in Utah. What about the name? Somebody. I haven't been there yet. Moab. No, no, it's not Moab. Uh, So, um, but this is basically the you know it's kind of the Dixie Forest down here, and you kind of on the right side you will get to Bryce Canyon, which is one of these beautiful um, national parks in Utah. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, and then in the back, you can see this ridge there that's kind of orange. That is also um, quite famous. And I, that's, I just forgot the name of it, basically. So, um, but yeah, you can fly uh, crazy distances in a paraglide. And for example, these are my, my, you know, one of my best friends that I met in competitions. I'm on the right side here. Um, you know, these are the gold smiles. When we all make gold, basically, then we're just so happy. Um, there's Annika here in the middle really good friend of mine and Lindsay Matouche. Uh, she is uh, actually a very successful uh, CEO of her own company. So, um, and you know, power girl for sure. 
And um, and uh, the one in the middle here, Annika, she has her, also her own business. She's making these hats that she's wearing in the picture. She has uh, basically a hat company. She's making those from recycled material and sells them all over the place. Her company is called Recaps. So re, R-E for recycling and caps. So Recaps. And she has a website if you want to, uh, if you need any hats for events or something uh, or for yourself even. Um, go find her online and uh, and uh, she's she's also an amazing lady so these nice. are my my best friends yeah Very my nice. paragliding family is that yeah this is um this is me flying here in New England as you can see it's kind of like uh it's either early spring or late late in the year there's no leaves on these trees um that's in uh, New York uh, upstate New York basically flying um you can see, uh, you know, one thing we always carry is these, you can see this uh, yellow instrument that's a in reach, um, Garmin in reach um, GPS tracker, basically. So we always fly with that when we go cross country. So if something happens, you can kind of track someone where they are. It's tracking every 10 minutes. Ooh, uh, okay. You can press an SOS button to kind of rescue you if you kind of go down somewhere. The next picture is actually from the same flight. Um, that's also on our our background here so um it's also in, in new york the next picture there this one okay yeah um so this is uh, also the same flying place new york and you can see this is my light harness um the wing is a very light wing you can see the lines are all very thin doesn't the risers are very thin so it's it's super light equipment and it's really nice to do a hike and fly with that so you just hike up somewhere and then you know fly off basically Hey, um, Karen up has a question. What are the rules for flying a paraglider over a national park for paramotors? And oh. she believes that you must be 2000 feet above the national park. Is that the same for paragliders? Um, it pretty much is. Um, I haven't heard of the 2000 feet, but, uh, absolutely there's no landing in a national park. So if you do fly over one, you make sure you're not landing there. And in a paraglider, that's much harder, of course, than in a paramotor because you can, you know, kind of land wherever you want in a paramotor, basically. In a paraglider, if you run out of list, lift, you have to go down, you have no other choice, then you're in trouble. And we had people who got the equipment um, um, taken away and uh, got in trouble. I have, you know, that was the first time I've ever flew over a national park, really. But we were so high, it was it was it was kind of a no-brainer. And we landed um, further down in an area that was not national park, so we, we had it all sorted out. Um, but yeah, we cannot we cannot launch. I think launch? Or, no, obviously not. We cannot launch or land in a national park. Absolutely not. And Tony thought it was maybe a thousand. I don't. Yeah, I don't know the altitude actually. Right. I mean, if you if, if we are a thousand. We are landing basically. You know, we can't stay up in a thousand feet. It's super low. Even two thousand feet is way too low. If you're that low, you shouldn't be there. Um, I mean, in this picture, we, we were up at sixteen thousand feet when we kind of were flying in that area. So um, it was pretty safe to go over and to make sure that we are not going to land there. All right. So um, I'm just gonna Bianca um, let everybody know what Shane is up to. What is Shane up to? Is that, is that Shane, the rocket now? Shane is actually going to do a live video because we have SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket going up in about one to two minutes. 
and he's in his backyard right now. <clears throat> 47 seconds. 47 seconds. So <clears throat> hopefully we'll see this. Shane, are the wind conditions good? <laughs> they they look good. It's the countdown's still going. Awesome. I'm running to the bathroom real quick. I'll see. Wow. Just so you know. And uh as of right now, the wind conditions are looking good. The pre preparation, uh, the preparation, <coughs> the wind are looking awesome, and the uh, and the the water in the air is, is dying down because apparently they can't send a rocket through a rain cloud. I don't get it. They can't. No, I don't know why. You sound like an old lady. Is this an old lady on on here? I know this is a woman only. Uh... <laughs> That's right, oh, darn it's it. not a woman only. The, the clouds, I start seeing the sun starting to come up. I mean, the <laughs> rocket, I think the rocket's going up because, uh... oh yeah, here we go. All right, hold on. <laughs> so right above these trees, you can already see the light starting to shine above yep. the Watch. Yep. We do have some clouds here, which will kill most of the, the light, but... You can see. Are we going to be able to hear it from your place too? Uh, if it's the if it's the, not the it's not it's not the Falcon or it's not uh, heavy. If it was the the heavy, then we'd be able to to uh, clearly hear it. Okay. <clears throat> Any second now, I'll get over the stupid tree above my my neighbor's yard. <laughs> can you? Climb I love that tree? stuff. SpaceX. I think it's so cool. Yeah, I watched the whole show on Netflix, the one uh, about the um, Inspiration mission. Yep. Inspiration 4. I watched that all on Netflix. It was so cool. Yeah, on my end, it looks like they restarted the time to a minute and 20 seconds. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Then I'll be back. No. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> you, you stay out that. there. Yeah. This is Doubtfire. You stay out there. <laughs> I want to stay out there. I'm going on mute. Okay. I'm watching on two screens like when it's supposed to, and now it's back to a minute and 50. Dang it. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to unpin Mrs. Doubtfire for a moment. <laughs> Who's that? Shane was sounding like a little like grandma. Right. <laughs> Oh him! Oh, he said it's an, a women-only chat, so he needed to be like. Oh, okay. So, um, we did our hour. I told you it would go quick. Yeah, so quick. So we'll stay on here, hopefully, until uh, we see the rocket last. Um, but in the meantime, um, are you on any social media, Bianca, that um, anybody can find you? Yes, um, I have been slacking a little bit though lately, um, but um, with postings and such and stuff. But I'm on Instagram. Um, I think I'm on, I don't know how. What to... are you? What are you at on Instagram? What's your Bianca fifty? I think or something. I think. Okay. Um, and on Facebook, just my real name, Bianca Heinrich. Um, not not really undercover here. So um, yeah, so you can find me there um friend me oh god i will have to i haven't been on these things for a long time um but 
I will have to get back to it, I guess. If people really like juju, there have to be more pictures. Yes. Right. You'll have to do videos on juju. <laughs> so just so you know, I have taken my my dog Coco up on two flights on the paramotor recently. Oh, that is so cool. Is the rocket Sorry. coming? Krista, what's what? the time? It, it's counting up now. I have no idea. Oh, good Lord. But it didn't go up. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I have a friend, I have a friend at work. She, she uh, got so excited when she heard that dogs can actually, you know, be strapped into a harness and be taken up in the air with a paraglider or, you know, a paramotor. Right. She is like so into this stuff now she's like i had no idea that dogs can fly i'm like yeah of course i mean she will be is he, is coco a big dog or a smaller dog uh, just a little dog she's uh, about nine pounds she's a little oh, wow. bear. <clears throat> yeah um i don't want to miss the rocket going up me neither i'm showing you but I'll jane see. what are you doing you want to see the rocket I have absolutely no idea what's going on. Bummer. Because I don't know, I don't know what Krista is watching, but I the light, that's why it's counting upward, Krista. I think the clouds have killed. Mm. Uh, let me let oh, me this. So we missed it. Uh, Definitely missed it. <laughs> hmm. I do. Usually, even with the cloud cover, you can still see the. the <clears throat> I knew the clouds were brighter than normal, but I don't. Well, they still look kind of brighter than normal. Because they're already showing on the live feed that it's gone up. And you I never. You didn't even hear it at all? No, I didn't even see. I seen the clouds a little brighter than normal, but <clears throat> normally it when it goes up, it lights up this whole area. So the clouds must be really thick. I'm just checking it now. Before SpaceX, it was very loud. You would right. you would feel the rumble. Oh really? No, I think I have the life. Oh yeah, it's already gone. Oh listen, listen. I got a little bit of a rumble. You heard us talking? Really? This is Coco. He said he heard a rumble. Oh, Coco is so cute. Okay, I'm out of here because that was a horrible idea. Sorry. Oh. Hey, Coco. (laughs) Me, Juju. She heard her name. All right. So Eric's going to try to put in the code. Bianca, I believe, has uh, been willing to join in on the chat yeah. um, in the after show. So if anybody wants to meet her, um, join us in the after show. And um, I don't know, Bianca, do you want me to see if I can show your your video again your your intro and we'll do it as an exit sounds good 
Okay, and then just stay in here and I'll uh, end our show with um, your, your exit. How's that sound? Sounds great. See you in the after show. See you in the after show, guys. Or um, yeah. you guys have a good night. Hi, I'm Jade playing Flamingo. I am Krista Cupcake. We see Welcome it this time. to our show. Yes. <laughs> Baby blue staring in the window pane, just counting drops of rain. Wondering if she's got the guts to take it. Running down her dreams in a dirty dress, now her heart's a mess. Praying she will find a way to make it. So Thank you everyone for hanging out on our show and I'm going to um, try to find the end. <laughs> Hold on. <clears throat> this is the difficult part. Have a good night, everybody. All right, let me cut the recording.